0: Welcome back to the Evans-Based Rheumatology Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Putman, and this is episode 105, the conversation with uh, Bhaskar Dasgupta. Uh, Dr. Dasgupta Bhask- is um, a foremost expert in GCA and PMR. He's published over 350 original articles, including being a co-author on the Gyacta trial and a senior author on the recently published Sapphire trial of cerulimab and PMR, uh, which I covered last week on the podcast. But I'm excited to talk to him today about the concept of gpsd which we're going to define shortly and here's thoughts on screening and risk really really phenotypic stratification in pmr so uh dr das Gupta, welcome to the podcast
1: thank you thank you for uh, uh, having me on your podcast
0: yeah, no, absolutely. Very happy to have you here. So, you know, this actually came from <laughs> as as with my recent conversation with Dr. Calabrese out of a, a a brief interaction on Twitter that I said, you know, this would be much better if we just had a conversation about it. And so, uh thank you from for taking a Twitter conversation to the real world. Uh and you know, I wanted to kick things off uh just by hearing your description of uh, the GPSD concept, I think this is a really interesting idea and one that. Um, and it, my, my first reaction to it is to say, of course, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, but I have some reservations about how that plays out in the real world. Uh, but I think that you'd be the best person to sort of introduce the concept. So would you like Would you like to explain the concept of the GPSD uh, uh, approach to to Palmia Dramatica and and giant Yeah, sure. Thank
1: you very much, uh, Mike. Um, I mean, first of all, just to highlight that the term polymyalgia rheumatica was coined in 1957. You know, a lot has happened since then. Uh, And we've held on to that term uh, with all its inherent imprecisions. Uh, You know, at that time, it was just a clinical, uh, uh, you know, description of patients who ached and who had raised inflammatory markers. That's all we knew and uh, you know steroids had uh, recently been discovered uh, 8 or uh, 7 or 8 years uh, prior to that and uh, people gave steroids uh, to a whole lot of rheumatological conditions uh, including giant cell arthritis polymyalgia rheumatica uh, and you know they responded and so they said brilliant so so we have a symptom that became a disease are you with me so, oh um,
0: absolutely, yeah, absolutely um,
1: so polymyalgia is a symptom. Mm-hmm. it's proximal pain and stiffness uh, and uh, uh, polymyalgic syndrome is a, a herald of a whole lot of rheumatological condition it's It's a feature of any patient who uh, falls foul of a rheumatological condition in the old age group aches around the shoulders um and 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 you know we have said that that's actually a disease. So polymyalgic syndrome occurs in rheumatoid arthritis, in connective tissue diseases, in vasculitides. Um, uh, name it and you have it. Uh, so, uh, and it occurs in a whole host of other non-inflammatory conditions. And inflammatory markers are raised. I mean, one important uh, aspect that you may need to uh, probably look up is the actually the editorial that Eric Mattison and I uh, um, uh, from the Mayo Clinic at that time. So we wrote an editorial saying polymyalgia, the mess we are in, and what we need to do about. It. And that was back in 2007. Uh, and and really we uh, addressed that in the BSR, the British Society of Rheumatology guidelines in 2009 and in the 2015 uh, ACRU Law Recommendation. Um, It's interesting, um, actually, uh, that a recent consensus uh, paper, which uh, I have sight of and which should get published, which uh, includes a whole host of uh, authors right across the globe, actually says that polymyalgia rheumatica is an indication for specialist referral. And in patients with severe symptoms, it requires rapid access uh, uh, referral. So, and, and, and that's actually signed up to by people across the Atlantic, across many countries. Uh, and, and, and essentially, the point I'm making is that uh, 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 direction was actually established in the BSR guidelines 2009, which says, which says clearly that not any old aching person with raised ESR or sed rate, as you call it, um, has got PMR, and uh, you know just giving them steroids and they feel better is not a, a sufficient diagnosis. We uh, actually outline the ESR guidelines and the 2015 guidelines, the ACRULAR. You need to have a stepwise diagnosis, so you need to have inclusion criteria which is new onset bilateral shoulder pain with stiffness and raised inflammatory markers. You needed to have exclusion criteria, which included cancer, infection, a host of rheumatological conditions. And that time we thought that GCA was sort of separate uh, and we included that. And then you did some inflammatory markers and various blood tests, then you give them steroids. So what we are really talking about now Since, uh, actually, our classification criteria was uh, published, uh, we now find, actually, that patients, and and this is not a recent observation, that when you follow patients up with PMR, they fall into different categories. So the patient with PMR upfront can then develop, for example, inflammatory arthritis uh, um, with distal manifestations. Can go on to uh, develop uh, large vessel vasculitis or large vessel GCA uh, or develop other features of rheumatoid arthritis, or they can remain as purely what we call isolated PMR. Now, we have a group of these other conditions. So we are, have started calling this stratification. So we think that like GCA, PMR is not a monolithic. And it has got a heterogeneous entity, heterogeneous course. So we need to stratify it upfront and make sure that we actually have the diagnosis of what we call PMR, the disease, not polymyalgia the symptom. And uh, the feature is bursitis, uh, uh, tenosynovitis And, you know, uh, uh, so we say that all patients with PMR, and and this is actually uh, echoed by the consensus paper that I uh, that has been accepted. All patients must be referred to a specialist uh, uh, for diagnosis and uh, verification of the diagnosis. And I feel that actually the best way to verify the diagnosis uh, is even in patients with classical PFR, because once you get give them steroids, it completes uh, muddies the waters. So you know these patients may benefit from an imaging upfront uh, apart from your clinical assessment laboratory assessment and uh, imaging stratification which basically looks for PMR but also are there evidence of any other conditions we do not we absolutely do not say that every patient requires vascular imaging but every patient should have shoulder uh, imaging and any involved structures. Uh, if, if if they have constitutional symptoms, if there are features of limb claudication, uh, if there are features of GCA that has been missed, because a lot of PMR is diagnosed in the in the community by non-specialists, and that's why we think that these things are important. If they have these other features, they ought to have imaging for that particular aspect. So yeah. we think that PMR and GCA really form, they're not identical conditions, they're separate conditions, just like red light is different from blue light, but forms a spectrum of white light. So PMR and GCA are really part of this common inflammatory spectrum, uh, and that needs to be recognized up front. I mean, I, I when I founded the PMR-GCA charity group, we we called it PMRGCA UK because at that time, we still felt that these are discrete, separate entities. But we think that the cause of PMR is much better served if you think of PMR as part of a spectrum, inflammatory spectrum. And uh, that's been recognized by the Treat to Target uh, paper back in December last year uh, and, 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 and the paper that you allude to the gpsd paper that we published in the nature reviews so that's a long-winded answer but uh, we think that uh, it's quite important uh, uh, that we recognize these conditions stratify them clinically laboratory perhaps uh, including imaging uh, and and ultrasound is not the only one Uh, in fact the most specific uh, in investigation for PMR is actually a PET CT, although it is horrendously expensive and it's radioactive, so we don't rec- uh, we don't recommend that. Uh, but certainly, it should be seen by the specialist, and uh, ultrasound is very helpful in as a confirmatory test.
0: That's great. thank you. Not a lot to unpack there. Um, I agree with you that I think it should be seen by a specialist. I was involved in the project that you talked about. So you said it was a whole big group of international people. If they even let me me get in there, you knew it was a big crew. <laughs> um the uh, a, a couple of things I wanted to focus on that you that you mentioned there. And you know, this is something that I frequently tell my trainees, which is that, in, in rheumatology, many of our diagnoses are phenotypic, and they're based on clino- clinical phenotypes. And there's a lot of limitations to thinking about rheumatology that way. PMR is clearly a clinical phenotype. And then you know, we, we add in the, the various aspects that you mentioned, and you can get closer to this maldramatica disease. My concern with the idea of – so first, let me just grant that I think this is a great idea because clearly there are many people with PMR who have GCA symptoms, and there are many people, many people with GCA who have PMR as a, as a manifestation of their disease. So it makes sense to think of them on this spectrum. But the other thing that I'm always teaching my trainees is that like at the end of the day, diagnoses matter insofar as they help you provide better therapies to your patients to get them to live longer, live better, and to give them important prognostic information. And my concern with imaging and PMR is that we might be getting information that leads us to make bad decisions. And so when you mentioned the uh, imaging and PMR, I, I think it's important to differentiate between imaging of um, uh, musculoskeletal structures and vascular imaging. And so I, I kind of want to press you on that point in particular and ask you a question, you know, how many patients with PMR, what what percentage of patients who present with sort of a pure PMR symptoms do you think should be getting vascular imaging to better stratify them? Would you be doing all of them, some of them, only those who have symptoms that warrant it? Where how, Where do you fall on that question?
1: Lovely. Uh, fantastic question. Uh, can I pick up on this uh, good decision versus bad decision in terms of therapy? Um, you know, there is this acceptance uh, and, and, and sadly amongst rheumatologists as well, that uh, you know, the diagnosis of GCA and PMR is a license to abuse steroids and and, and produce steroid toxicity. Um, and and the truth is that that is a a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy that, you know, even rheumatologists believe anything that responds to steroids must be PMR. And so uh, when we did the classification criteria study, the re-verification, you know, the biggest, biggest source of misclassification was response to steroids. Mm -hmm. And and there were people with rheumatoid who responded to steroids. There were people with PMR who didn't respond to steroids. So uh, I, I'm not sure that actually curtailing our use of steroids in patients with PMR is a bad decision. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, you know, if they, for example, we discover that they have synovitis doing ultrasound, if we find that they have large vessel vasculitis doing ultrasound, and then we introduce methotrexate or the glunamide or tocilizumab or sarilumab, uh, which you're covering in your podcast. I don't think that's a bad decision. Uh, I I think that's actually uh, conserving steroids in patients and uh, preventing the toxicity of steroids is a good decision. Um, So uh, the essential aspect of any guideline for PMR, it has to be safe and specific. No overdiagnosis, no underdiagnosis. So uh, now, now I'll come to your second point about how many patients and uh, with PMR have uh, GCA underlying. I, in fact, the term subclinical is actually misnomer because if PMR is uh, treated by the non-specialist, they will not pick up the GCA clues. So everything to them would be subclinical. Whereas I think if PMR was, uh, uh, you know, assessed by a rheumatologist with experience with PMR and GCA they would pick up all the, the clues that uh, signify GCA. You ask which, what are they? The clues are patients with PMR who have systemic symptoms. So patients with PMR who have got uh, a running uh, low-grade fever, who are having drenching sweats, who are losing weight, who are anemic, very high inflammatory markers, these patients more yeah. likely to have underlying GCA. Uh, by which I mean really a large vessel vasculitis. Patients with PMR, one major problem is that uh, PMR is such a debilitating proximal pain and stiffness that GPs or other non-specialists fail to actually look at their temporal arteries, fail to ascertain that they have jaw floccation, fail to, you know, so, uh, and these patients, we will pick up, number three, Patients who have very high inflammatory markers, patients with the, you know, uh, in in the three figures, I know you use uh, sedimentation rate. We in Britain, we would use mainly CRPs uh, and certainly patients with very high inflammatory markers. Um, I think we must look for uh, underlying, uh, you know, large vessel vasculitis. Patients who have limb claudication, and w- uh, one aspect that I would like to bring out is many patients uh, who have upper limb claudication are mistaken to have polymyalgic symptoms. So um, you know, uh, adequate uh, lack of pulsate uh, you know verification of the pulses. Patients who have back pain. So aortitis, aortitis is, is one of the features is uh, is uh, back problems uh, and back pain. Uh, so. Uh, you know, these are uh, patients who have uh, inflammatory uh, uh, synovitis. Um, these are the patients I would think of something else. So I would say that if you put them all together, you know, the literature is saying that at least a third of your patients may well, uh, who present with your polymyalgic symptoms, uh, may well have underlying uh, large vessel disease. And it's not subclinical. It can actually be ascertained. By the specialist, but you know, because PMR is actually diagnosed by non-specialists, you know, it goes into the subject. Yeah.
0: No, I think we'd agree with you. I think we are in agreement that anyone who has limb claudication or signs of GCA deserves to be imaged for GCA, I and mean, I, I wholeheartedly ascribe to that. I think there's a movement in the field right now, though, to start doing more imaging on people who present with, in your in your GPSD paper, you did call it pure PMR, or people who have just pure PMR symptoms. There is a movement to start doing vascular imaging on those folks. And that's where I just get worried. I think that if you start finding lesions on people who have those symptoms, you're you're going to change their therapy from sort of a PMR style taper. Uh, to more of a GCA-style taper, and people would wind up getting more steroid exposure there. But it doesn't sound like you're advocating for imaging those people. You're more talking about imaging for musculoskeletal structures. Is that correct? Do I have you right there?
1: Entirely. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't be in more agreement with you. Uh, I think one difference might be a key difference that mm-hmm. I believe uh, that uh, you see the big problem is uh, that uh, it's an easy decision to start steroids up front. What happens when you reduce the steroids, you know, when patients start flaring? And then you are faced with the question, have I got the diagnosis right? Is this infection of cancer? Have I got the diagnosis right? Is this rheumatoid arthritis or uh, onloarthritis? Have I got the diagnosis right? Is this GCA that I'm treating? So um, have I got the diagnosis right? Is it osteoarthritis? chronic pain that I'm treating. So, uh, you know, all these issues, which sound very simple upfront when you start them on steroids, actually come up when they have a flare. So you're automatically asking the question, what is the cause of flare? Is there a relapsing PMR? Is this GCA? Is this another inflammatory disease? Is this osteoarthritis, chronic pain? So for all those purposes, it is really very useful up front to actually make a confirmatory test uh, using uh, uh, ultrasound of your shoulders and any other involved structures so that you know up front, this is what I'm treating. This is the clinical, this is the laboratory, this is the imaging uh, version of the patient that I'm treating. So when these patients relapse, then I know exactly how, what to do about it. Yeah, that's um, an interesting
0: that's an interesting point about the relapses, because I think about that a lot. And my my general opposition to large vessel imaging up front in PMR changes a little bit on relapse, because that person is inevitably going to get more steroids, like you point out. And, you know, having a better stratification understanding of what's going on, I think, would be useful. So that, that, that's a compelling argument. So, I mean, just to to kind of get to my last topic that I want to ask you about, you know, in the wake of the Sapphire trial, it does seem like adding tosler or in this case, sorolimab or interleukin-6 inhibition, for patients who are relapsing makes quite a bit of sense, um, or at least there's a, there's a reasonably compelling rationale to do that. So I want to put your feet to the fire, though. Uh, now, at what level of steroid relapse would you suggest or would you personally add IL-6 inhibition? So to, to give you context for this, I have a patient who kept flaring around 12 milligrams of steroids, and you know we put her on an, an interleukin-6 inhibitor, and she did well after that. And I, I felt like that was a clear place where she'd been on a a relatively high dose for quite some time. And I think that it was very useful in that case. I I had another patient who contacted me five days ago, and uh, she flared at three and she said three and a half milligrams of steroid. (laughs) And I thought to myself, do I just bump it back to five milligrams and start a slow taper again? Or is this someone where you know, someone would consider an interleukin-6 inhibitor. So so talk to me about that. And it, the, the study was on folks who had relapsed, but so at what point do you think it's worthwhile to start someone on an interleukin-6 inhibitor as opposed to just bumping to the last steroid dose that worked and restarting a long taper?
1: Perfect. Now, so again, I, I think we are at danger of agreeing with each other. So uh, uh, I think the, the person who plays uh, on three milligrams of prednisone or prednisolone, I wouldn't uh, uh, rush to uh, starting uh, uh, sarilumab in that patient because, uh, you know, it's very likely, again, coming back, to what's the cause of the symptom? Uh, is it PMR? Is it osteoarthritis? Is, is it their neck and back that's hurting now that you've reduced the steroids? Um, so, uh, um, you know, uh, I certainly wouldn't rush to using an IL-6 inhibitor in that patient. On the other hand, Um, You know, if someone relapses, as you say, at a higher dose of steroid, uh, particularly if they're associated with all the factors that I told you about uh, that might suggest underlying uh, large vessel vasculitis, constitutional symptoms, high inflammatory markers. So patients, for example, where your inflammatory markers have never normalized, Mm -hmm. you know, I always worry about that patient. So a, a patient who uh, has persistently, you know, in CRP, we have sort of above 10, and someone even who's flicking 11, 12 all the time, and, and we've never got the CRP back to a normal level, that patient has got an inflammatory component to their relapsic mark And that patient, actually, if you image them, uh, are quite likely to have underlying large vessel vasculitis. So, uh, and, and because it's, you know, uh, so I, I would say that a patient uh, that you mentioned, the first one, 12 milligram prednisone, particularly with slightly raised inflammatory markers, particularly with constitutional symptoms, to, you know, like drenching sweats, I wouldn't, uh, you know, I certainly uh, would uh, uh, have a short, uh, uh, you know, uh, time to consider IL-6 inhibition. Of course, in Britain, uh, we won't be able to access an IL-6 inhibition uh, in that sort of uh, stage because Nice predicates that we should try, uh, you know, other medications. So, and, and in fact, uh, although I'm the senior author of Sapphire, I would say that drugs like Leflunomide work uh, very well uh, in, in, and uh, you know, in in many patients with large vessel vasculitis. But but that's a story for another day. Maybe you can uh, invite me to another podcast. Uh, but we might, be, oh, say
0: we might be dangerous. We might be in danger of agreeing again. I actually I think laflunamide is a sneaky good uh, medication for vasculitis. And I've had a couple people who I couldn't get an interleukin six inhibitor. I tried them on leflunomide, and they responded remarkably well. One lady in particular, who I was two years four months into repeated flares. Um, insurance was intransigent, methotrexate was completely inefficacious and she responded beautifully to liflunamide, the first thing that actually worked. So I I wonder if uh, our methotrexate uh, our pension for methotrexate is a historical accident in some degree. Where you know we use it for rheumatoid arthritis, but I, I wonder if it's more effective in this case. Uh, that, that brings me to my last question for you, and this is kind of a controversial one: Does methotrexate work for PMR or GCA? You say that it does in your paper, but I want to hear it from you. Does methotrexate work?
1: Uh, now that is a really difficult uh, <laughs> uh, question to answer. Um, do Do you want my frank opinion? Um,
0: Absolutely.
1: (laughs) So um, the reason why methotrexate has made it to the recommendations is that we have this gold standard of our RCT. And Mm -hmm. so unless you have RCT evidence, um, you know, uh, you can't actually uh, frame a recommendation. Now, uh, I must say that of the three RCTs with methotrexate, two of them disagree with the third. And our um, ultimate, uh, uh, as you say, the poncher for methotrexate is based on a meta-analysis, uh, which showed that the, there was less steroid use uh, in, and and the possibly uh, less players in patients who were on methotrexate. But that's you know the the effect is very very modest. So, uh, and, and and if you ask me frankly, uh, I think leflunomide is a better drug than it's atrexate, uh, but because liflunamide became generic, so we couldn't, uh, for the love of money, actually mount a randomized controlled trial with liflunamide because no one's interested. Uh, so um, there is a uh, uh, RCT that's going on in Netherlands, and we are waiting for the results of that in PMR. But we have published, actually, uh, quite a few papers uh, on Leflunomide case series and 10-year follow-up in PMR and GCA, large vessel vasculitis Works very well. Um, and so uh, I think it works uh, better than methotrexate. I must, uh, uh, you know, I must be very clear about
0: it. Yeah, I love that. That's a, that's a nice little spot to end. Um, uh, this has been a really interesting conversation. Any final thoughts before we sign off?
1: No, wonderful. Um, I, I mean, I, I'm really very, very grateful to you for uh, allowing me to focus on the GPSD uh, uh, mm-hmm. concept, because I think uh, that's actually going to be very beneficial to our patients. Uh, and you know, uh, for a patient to actually have their large vessel vasculitis diagnosed upfront, two years before uh, actually uh, they get aortitis and aortic dilatation and aneurysms, is a good thing. So thank now, you
0: Yeah, no, thanks so much for coming. It's been a very enjoyable conversation. I want to plug briefly for that paper. Uh, We've mentioned it a couple of times, but the title is Disease Stratification in GCA and PMR state-of-the-art and future perspectives. Dr. Dasgupta is the, the lead author, on the, or the, final, the last author on that paper. It was published in July 2023 in Nature Reviews Rheumatology. So if anyone enjoyed this uh, conversation, would like to read Dr. Dasgupta's thoughts in full, I, I highly recommend it. It's a good read, a lot of really nice charts, and it's a, very, it's a very interesting conceptual dive into what it means to have GCA and PMR. So thanks again for coming on the podcast. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening, um, and have a great week.